Record now. Yeah. Hello, hello. No, no, you'll record. It'll start going. Okay, it great. It recording, and it should be. See, it's, see the seconds are going now. The seconds are going. Okay, I can't beat that, can I? Okay. It now works. This is a serious matter. <laughs> it's so small that you could lose it, though. Right there. The situation is so, I'd like to uh, continue, uh, uh, maybe, the discussion of Chizakti's late paro. What exactly might this idea that God forced paro to act as he acted? Like what, what does that mean? And uh, uh, the medieval commentaries uh, all dealt with this question. They all felt it was a question. How could it be that Paro did not act according to his own interests and inclinations, but that God forced Paro to act the way he acted? Now, you know that, that uh, in the Chumash, in this parasha, uh, the parasha of Bo, Shemos Va'era Bo, starts, is the parish of the second half of the Makot. Right, the first Makah in Bo is Arbe. Right, Arbe. And then Choshech. Is that right? And then Makat Pechorot. Arbe, Choshech, Makat Pechorot. These are the the Makot Barad is the last Makah in Va'era and in Bo Arbe Choshech Bechorot right Be'achav Be'achav that's what Ram Gamliel said and what we say every year in the in the Haggadah right Tzach Adash Be'achav right so Barad the last four Barad is the last Makah in the parasha of Va'era. And Arbe is the first Makah in the parasha of, of Bo. So you see the Psukim, the Makat Arbe, it says, Vayichazek Hashem et leif paro v'lo shilachet b'nei Yisrael. So it sounds like, if not for the fact that Hashem chizek et leif paro, that paro would have sent them. He would have sent them out. So, for some reason, for some reason, it was important that all these makot be given in the tribe. And in order to make sure that uh, that Paro wouldn't cheat and let the Jews out of Mitzrayim, by Chazek Hashem at Leif Paro. So that's what the Pasuk said. However, however, there's generally an assumption that's made that there's a kind of an agreement between Hashem and the world that is created. And that is that in the created world there's Bechirach of Sheet, there's free will. So how could it be that God took away the free will? The same thing is true about Makat Choshech. You see the second pasuk on the sheet. That's after the Makat of Choshech. Right, the same thing. And then it says, He didn't want to. He didn't have an inclination to do so. Then Makat Bichorot, Vayom HaShem El Moshe, Lo Yishma Lechem Paro, Leman, Revot Moftai Be'eretz Mitzrayim, Moshe Ba'aron, Asu Et Kol HaMoftim Ha'eluf Dei Paro, Vayachazek HaShem Et Leif Paro, Velo Shilach Et B'nei Yisrael Me'ar. So even after, Makat Bichorot, even after, you know, this is a terrible thing, God uh, 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 forced Paro to to have harden his heart. I mean, he wouldn't he wouldn't agree to this. Uh. So all of this starts in last week's parasha, as we saw in Parak Zion Pasuk Gimel. Va'ani akshe et leif Paro. There's a a promise that God makes to Moshe Rabbeinu. Va'ani akshe et leif Paro. 
Verbeti et otatai vet loftai be'eretz mitzrayim. It was that he had a rationale. Why is it that God is doing this to Paro? In order that there should be many, many makot in Mitzrayim. Why should there be many makot in Mitzrayim? That the Torah doesn't tell us. At least does not tell us at first. Doesn't tell us at first. But there are certain inclinations of it. For example, at the beginning, this posuk is not... Uh, it's not on the sheet, but you would remember. In the beginning of the parasha of Bo, this week's parasha, this week's parasha, Vayomer Hashem Moshe Bo Paroki Aniach Badati Et Libo. Badati Et Libo is, I guess, the same as Vichizak Et Libo, even though our inclination as students of the Torah is to try to distinguish. But even if we could distinguish between Vayichazek and Echvadati, they would be similar. There would be some kind of a, 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 of a limit in free will. There would be some kind of limit. Uh, and then the Pasuk says, Ki ani et libo liman shiti ototai eile bekirbo. In order that all of these miracles should take place, all of these otot, all of these signs, all of these makot, all of these uh, uh, terrible uh, afflictions. And then the Pasuk said, Uleman tisaper baznei bincha ben bincha et asher So that all of this is a kind of a setup. That's what the Torah says. In, in order for the Sipur Yitziat Mitzrayim, which becomes obligatory on B'nai Yisrael ultimately, right, the, the, the Torah obliges us at least once a year, even though we mention Yitziat Mitzrayim all the time. So many mitzvot that we do, have Kriyachma, we mention the Yitziat Mitzrayim. Kiddush Friday night, we mention Yitziat Mitzrayim. Yitziat Mitzrayim is always on our minds, but once a year, on the night of Pesach, we tell the story. We tell the story. And here, in this Pasuk, at the beginning of the bow, it says, Pasuk Bet, Leman Tisaper Baznei Bincha Ben Bincha Asherit Alaudi Mitzrayim. Why are there a lot of Makot in Mitzrayim? Why are there a lot of Makot? So you should have a good story. If you didn't have a, a lot of Makot, what would you say? that God took the Jews out of Mitzrayim. <laughs> That's like a kind of short Seder. Not, the, not what Jews are used to doing. Right? We're used to telling things in, a, in a, an expansive way. So, this idea that in order to tell the story, God denied Paro, his Bechirach of Shit, his free will action, is, uh, is problematic. If you say that the way God created the world was that we, the created beings in that world, should have free will and should be judged by the free will that we have, because of the free will we have, why would the Torah say, the Torah says, in order that you have a good story to tell on the night of Pesach, so we'll make it a long Yitziat Mitzrayim. In order to make it a long Yitziat Mitzrayim and variable makot, all kinds of interesting makot. So we're going to have to do something to make sure that happens, Bashamayim. And that thing that we have to do is Vayachazek slash Vayachbeit. Right? To, to make his heart strong or to make his heart uh, uh, heavy. And, and in that way, we're going to ensure that there's going to be another makah. And then another makah. And another makah. Uh, what does Rashi say? Rashi in Perik Zion says this. Perik Zion is the parasha of Va'era, right? Last week's parasha. When the Akadish Bochu introduces Moshe and Aaron to what's going to be. And that's where he says, That's where Hashem says, Rashi says, Since Paro, here Shia, he was guilty of some t- 
terrible thing. The hitris negdi, kinegdi, that Taro acted obstinately against God. He acted against God. The galui lefanai, she'ein nachad ruach be'umot ovdei avodah zara latet lev shalem lashuv. And he said, Yadulifat is Rashi. Yagalui lefanai. And God says to Moshe and Aaron, right? Galui lefanai means, I know very well. Now when God says, I know very well, he's not just talking about the past or the present. But God is talking about always. Galui lefanai is not a variable. It's something that, that exists. It's the reality that what? So what is it that Rashi says? That I know God, speaking for God, that I, HaKadosh Baruch know that the nations of the world are not inclined to do tshuva. They're not inclined to do tshuva. And since they're not inclined to do tshuva, totally, I, 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 God, am, am happy about the fact that, that Paro will be stubborn. In order that I, Hashem, should be able to increase the number of otot, the takiru atem et givurotai. So, so everything, it's all in this Rashi. There's, I mean, if you just remember this Rashi, you know the whole story. The whole story is, according to Rashi, that the non-Jews, the Ovdei Avodah don't believe in the power of Tshuva. They don't believe in the power of Tshuva. Because in order to believe in the power of Tshuva, you have to be able to distinguish where you're going. Like, when a person does Tshuva, this is what I, I would say is the Pshat. If a person does tshuva, it means you go back. You go back before you did the chait. Now you have to have something to go back to. You have to have some point of reference. If you don't have a point of reference, you're not going to be able to do tshuva. So these Ovde Abodazara, who were never, never as they should be, they were never as they should be, therefore they, they can't do tshuva, they can't go back. They can't go back, and therefore... Therefore, Hashem says, that's okay with me right now, so to speak. What's okay with God? That they don't do tshuva. Because if they don't do tshuva, then what's going to happen? What is going to happen? More and more makot. More and more otot. And why is that something that God is happy about? Why is that something that God is happy about? Because it's going to teach B'nai Yisrael something about the relationship between God and the world. So you have to understand that point to Rashi. You see at the time the whole process, the talking about the tzach, adash, everybody always says, so what's the big deal? I mean, not everybody. One might say, sitting at the Seder, there's always one nudniki kid, you know, who, who's either very clever or talk to somebody else who's very clever and he comes and he says what difference does it make to me that God made these makot after all everybody knows that God can do that that's what God is God is me'al hateva so what difference does it make to me if there are frogs and there are lice and then there are wild animals flying around in heaven who cares it's enough to say that God took them out of Mitzrayim. I understand that God can do anything. Question. So what's the answer? The answer is that B'nai Yisrael were involved in a learning process. They were the first ones. They were the first ones. You see, like if Avram Avinu was the first one who could say, I, Avram Avinu, you know who I am? You know who Avram Avinu is? Avram Avinu recognized the fact that God wants something of us. That's the chidush. The chidush of Avram Avinu, the chidush of Am Yisrael, ultimately. That there's a mitzvah. 
There are mitzvot. Mitzvot are not just uh, uh, do good actions or a way to organize your community or your society. It's also that. Certainly according to the Rambam, it's that. But what is it that the mitzvot are? The mitzvot are what God wants. And that's a Kiddush. That's a Kiddush. Avodah never had mitzvot. Avodah always, the problem of Avodah was, how do I control the gods and make sure they don't mess up the world that I'm living in? So if there was too much rain, or there's too much wind, or there's too much snow, or there's too much, so that you, you have to appeal to the gods to stop it. But it's not because, it's not because, the, that was the relationship. The relationship was based on bad things happening. Now, it's also true that in the, the Jews have also taken note of bad things happening. I'm not saying that, that it's not found in Judaism at all, but the essence of the Jewish people is Avram Avinu receiving a mitzvah. Right? When we, when we, uh, I, I've mentioned this before. When Avram Avinu is introduced to us, right? Chazal say that Avinu was a, was a big philosopher and he understood that his father's idols were just baloney and therefore he went that he broke them. So what does Sarah say? And Avram Avinu, the greatest theologian of his age, comma, right? Went to Eretz Yisrael. No. That's not what the Torah says. The Torah says, Vayom HaShem Avram, in other words, who is Avram Avinu? The one who received a command. What is a command? It's what God wants. God wants of us. And that was the Chiddush of Am Yisrael. Now, what's the Chiddush of Yitziat Mitzrayim? What's the Chiddush of Yitziat Mitzrayim? That God's relationship to the world is not a discontinuous function. I once studied math. In math, if you say a discontinuous function, everybody knows what you're talking about. But if you're not in math, then it's just what it sounds like. In other words, the, the relationship between God and the world is constant, it's consistent, it keeps going, it affects the, the, the heavens and the earth, and as preparation for Kabbalah Tatorah, as preparation for receiving the Torah, that apparently was mandatory. I mean, after all, the Jews had spent some time, not 400 years, redu, reish, dalet, vav, 210 years as slaves in Egypt. Slaves are people who don't have control over their own destiny. And they are the ones who had to understand they, the Jews, enslaved in Egypt that all destiny is in God's hands. That's what they had to understand. And the process of Yitziat Mitzrayim taught them that. Because God was in control, obviously, of the water, of the ground, of the animals, of the birds, of the skies, everything. That's what they learned. And that this control, this control was arbitrary. It happened all the time. It was, it was the it was the definition. So Am Yisrael went to Har Sinai with these two pieces of information. One was Avram Avinu that there's a tzivui coming because that's what the relationship between Am Yisrael and HaKadosh Baruch Hu is. And the second piece of information was that ultimately God is control, in control of the world. God is in control. And that's not idolatry. So Rashi makes this interesting comment that an idolater can't do tshuva. An idolater can't do tshuva because the only thing he has to go back to is his idolatry. That's his, like, what it was he before he was a, before he was a, uh, a, uh, before he was a criminal. Well, he was a criminal. Like, it just, he didn't do it. You know, in other words, the difference is that he was a ideological criminal and then he became a real criminal, criminal because his ideology did not include well, not include not being a, not being a criminal. So that's uh, that's what Rashi said. I mean, this Rashi, as as I, I think I mentioned, this Rashi is the whole story of Yitziat Mitzrayim. And if you look at the Rashi carefully, you read it carefully, you'll see. And therefore, 
Therefore, he's saying, according to Rashi, what does Vani Akshe et Leif Paro mean? It means that Paro himself, he didn't have free will. Because without tshuva, without doing tshuva, you don't have free will. That's all we say, the Rambam in Hilchos Tshuva, right? The Rambam in Hilchos Tshuva, the first five prakim, the first four prakim about tshuva, and the fifth parak starts talking about Bechirach of Shit, so that, that the whole, what, what tshuva implies, that, how can you always do tshuva? How can you always do tshuva? I mean, can't you be in such a miserable situation you wouldn't be able to do tshuva? So the, the, the Rambam says, tshuva is what brings you back to zero. It brings you back to the point where you can make a decision about being good or not being good. Right? But the, the, the Egyptians didn't have that. It wasn't in their system. So since he wasn't going to do tshuva, and since he was going to get punished ultimately anyway, doesn't mean anything. It doesn't contradict it does not contradict our basic premise, which is that man has Bechirach of Shit. But man apparently can choose to deny himself the Bechirach of Shit, and that's what Paro did according to Rashi. Now, let's look at the Ramban. The Ramban says, That Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, that in the future his heart will be hardened. In order to punish Paro. Punish him for what? What do you want to punish Paro for? That's enough. We don't have to read anything else in it. I mean, not now. Which means that there was a sin that Paro did. You know, that's the question we asked last time. If Paro was a shaliach of God, if Paro did what God wanted him to do, so how come he was punished so severely? Question. And the answer is, no, he, he, he overdid it. He overdid it. In other words, I, I don't know how the Ramban knows that. I mean, he knows it from the, from the Medrash, but how does the Medrash know it? Uh, so obviously... Obviously, the, the, the other side of the question, one side of the question is Bishriach of Sheep, but the other side of the question is, how come he was punished so severely? What did he do? The answer is, he did more than he was expected to do as an emissary of, of God. That's what, that's what the, the Ramban says. Okay, now... You know that between Rashi and the Ramban lived the Ibn Ezra. I'm talking about chronologically. Right? Rashi is first, then the Ibn Ezra, and then, and then the Ramban. So the Ibn Ezra has this to say. This to say in a pasuk in, uh, in Dvarim. <coughs> now, in Devorim, there are a lot of psukim that sound similar. You know, be good, keep the mitzvahs, do the right thing, don't stray, you know, Laman, Laman is a big word in Devorim, in order that you should, I keep the, keep the faith, <laughs> you keep the faith, that's Devorim. Devorim is like endless cajoling of Am Yisrael to do the right thing, because Moshe Rabbeinu knew that this was not obvious far from obvious and we didn't know how it would turn out so there's a pasuk in Devarim the pasuk is on the sheet perik hey pasuk kafei miyitein what does miyitein mean? it should be right? it should only be what should only be? sounds like a like a rock song v'haya levavam ze lahem levavam ze Ze is a word of pointing. Levavav ze. Who knows? Levavav. Let's say levavav ze is like levavav. Levavav means their heart. Mi came. Oh, it should only be. Vahaya. And levavav ze should be. What should they be? Liyir aoti. Vilishvot kol mitzotai. That their hearts should be dedicated to the fear of God 
and to keeping the mitzvot kol hayamim, all of their days, They're not up and down, like some more, some less, all of the days, lemani tav lahem, velivnehem, leolam. That's what the Bosuk says. Now this Pasuk is, if not for the Ibn Ezra's comment, we would put this Pasuk in the category of not so interesting. Because there are many Pesukim like this in Dvarim, where B'nai Yisrael are being cajoled to do the right thing. Do the right thing. Keep the mitzvah. Do what you're supposed to do. Lir'at Hashem. You know, you should have, maintain this level of, of fear of God. Me'itain. You see the Ibn Ezra? Yes? The Pasuk doesn't say it should be for me. But it should be for them. That the word lahem, the pronoun lahem, appears after the phrase Vayalevavamze, the Jara. So what's the lahem? Levavam, vaya levavam. In other words, it should be, their hearts should be for me, for God. What do you mean their heart should be for them? It should be for, for me. That's the, that's the Ibn Ezra's issue. Veda, the Ibn Ezra says. Kishoresh kola maasim vatnuot gzeirot Hashem. What do you think of that? Shoresh, root of kol ha-ma'asim Ma'asim are completed acts. And throughout are even incomplete acts. Right? Like you get up and then you remember that you didn't want to get up so you sit down again. That is also directed by God. Right? Ma'asim, where you do something and throughout, we just move from place to place. Gzerot Hashem. Gzerot Hashem means they all are in line with divine thought. V'kol ha-nimtsaim tachat ha-shamayim kocham v'toldatam kefi ha-ma'arechet ha-yona im ha-shorashim l'maka. So, and we know that Ibn Ezra was not exactly a Kabbalist, but this was regular kind of Neoplatonic thinking. You know that everything is connected, and if we move, something happens on earth, it means that something's happening in heaven, and, and vice versa. If you do something on earth, it'll happen in heaven. This is all, this is real Kabbalistic thinking, even though you don't have to be a Kabbalist to think that way. You can be a sort of regular person, right? And also think that way. Think that somehow the relationship between, and even the Rambam thought this, by the way. You know, the Rambam quotes the famous Mashal, that there's a difference between building a table and creating the world. Because when you build a table, the carpenter who builds the table, the table stands on its own when it's finished. He sells the table to somebody that's in their house. And the person who built that table has nothing to do with the table anymore. It'll stand here, it'll stand there, you move it around, the people who bought it. But the builder is out of the picture. But the Rambam said this is not the way it was with creation. When God created the world, the meaning of creation was. What does it mean to say that God created the world? That the ongoing relationship between God, the creator, and the world, the created, is somehow intact. And that if God would not kind of command the world to exist second after second or nanosecond, nanosecond after nanosecond, <coughs> it would all disappear. Everything would disappear. So that's what the Ibn Ezra is saying. He's saying that everything that happens in the world is all connected right to heaven. And the same thing is true of things that are made in the world 
in a combinatory fashion. Like let's say you take a test tube and you put two chemicals in it that have never been together in their lives and they go or something, right? That's also determined in heaven. Even though you say, if you say but, but it's not in the creation. I just made it. No, no. It's all part of that. That's also part of the creation. Those are the more kavim. V'chein kifit nu'atam yom yom v'eit eit ki l'olam iye shinui. Kasher piresh ba'al sefer yitzirah. And so the Ibn Ezra quotes the sefer yitzirah, one of the classic books of, of the Kabbalah. Right? That this is how the world came to be. And this is what it means to say that the world was created. A world was created doesn't mean that God created the world. It meant that God continues in an ongoing fashion to create the world all the time. That's what the Sefer Yitzirah was. And the derivative things in the world will also relate in that way to God. Right? That, that's the position of the, of the Ibn Ezra. And that's uh, the, 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 the original is somehow reflected in the created, in the secondary thing. Now, listen to what the Ibn Ezra says. I mean, this is what the Ibn Ezra says. You see that, what the Ibn Ezra, what does that mean? That's in in both. What is it that the Ibn Ezra what is the Ibn Ezra saying? The Ibn Ezra is saying is that if in fact if in fact God is the creator at all times of the world, right? God is the creator, then if Paro was stubborn and wouldn't let the Jews out of Mitzrayim, then it's correct to say, what is it correct to say? Because in some ultimate sense, everything that's done in the world, everything that's done in the world is, comes from God. So it doesn't mean, the puzzle doesn't mean that God did it to Paro. But as far as we can understand, Paro did it to himself. Paro did it as a free choice actor. Why does the Pesach say by Chazek Hashem et Leif Paro? Because if it was not part of the larger divine plan, it would not have happened. Can I say it again? <laughs> yeah, I was lucky. I know that this could be a kind of an annoying idea. But if you say if you say that everything ultimately comes from God. So it's true that everything that anybody does somehow ultimately comes from God. Now what does that mean? What does that mean in this particular case? I don't know what it means in all the cases. But in this particular case, when Paro hardened his heart, why did he harden his heart? Why did he do so? Rashi's right. What is Rashi right about? What is, in what way is Rashi right? Because Paro didn't know about tshuva. He didn't know what the options were. He couldn't make that choice, so he chose to be a bad fellow. <coughs> However, ultimately, what Paro does goes back to HaKadosh Baruch So what does that mean? Does it mean nobody has free will? It means, I think, that this is what the Ibn Ezra says, that if Paro's free choice action would have somehow be at variance with what God wanted in the world, it wouldn't have happened. So, Vayichazek Hashem Paro means that Paro 
received divine approval to be the way he was. And if the Torah, if the Torah, if God didn't want Paro to be that way, I wanted the Jews to leave Bishraim immediately, that's what would have happened. They would have left Bishraim immediately. So that on the one level, on one level, Paro makes the decision. But on the bigger level, right, the, in history, things are going to go the way Hashem wants them to go. And not going to go differently than what Hashem wants them, wants them to be. And that's the position of the, that's the position of the Ibn Ezra. Now, I'll tell you the truth. I'm always nervous about that question. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what. Uh, how would you uh, rate the bubonic plague? How would you rate, uh, uh, um, you know, AIDS in South Africa? I, I mean, the Rambam already said, the Rambam already said, there are questions that we don't know the answer to. Because the cheshbon in heaven is not really available to us. Not really, but we, we can't, we don't have a ta'ana, you know. I mean, in history, the history, like in another thousand years, will people remember the Holocaust or the state of Israel? I don't know. But maybe they'll remember the state of Israel. Maybe the Holocaust will become, I mean, do you remember the bubonic plague? Do you remember how bad it was? Do you remember how, how many people in your family died? Do you know that the Jews... Uh, 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 did not grow as a nation. You know, at the eve of World War World War uh, Two, there were 18 million Jews in the world, right? They were around a long time. I think there weren't 80 million Jews in the world. I don't know. I mean, I mean, how I I I can try to understand. What the Ibn Ezra is saying. I, I don't understand it. I don't, you know, I can't figure it out in the in light of relating to heaven. But I want to show you what the Rambam says. You see on the second page, at the bottom, in the Guide to the Perplexed. The Guide to the Perplexed was written by the Rambam later in his life. Right? He wrote his halachic works, his two great halachic works were the commentary on the Mishnah which was written in Arabic, and the Yad HaZakah, this collection of halachot, which was written in Hebrew. The only thing that the Rambam wrote in Hebrew was the Yad HaZakah. So the Rambam wrote the parish on the Mishnah, which is very halachic, and also you know, has certain ideas in it, and the introductions that he wrote to various Masechtot, and the Yad HaZakah, the, the guide to the perplexed, he wrote later. Uh, this is very much in line with the Rambam's own philosophy. At least, what he says his philosophy is in Ilchas Yisodia Torah, where he says that it's important for people to be well grounded in Havayot Abaye Verava. Abaye Verava. That's the Gemara. In, in other words, a person has to have a lifestyle. You can't. You can't just have everything open at the same time according to the Rambam. It's not going to work. So if you want to study philosophy, and the Rambam thought you should study philosophy, that it was important to study philosophy, he says, first, you have to learn how to keep Shabbos. I'm bringing that as an example. So first you have to learn how to keep Shabbos, and then you, then you study philosophy. The Rambam was of the opinion that you really were obliged to study philosophy. But in that order, that was the order. First, you have to know Shabbos. You have to have a lifestyle. You have to have a community. You have to belong, a place where you belong. Today, it's a little hard for people who have a lifestyle and join a community to also study philosophy. I mean, it's like not, uh, not so accepted. But for the Rambam, that was the way to go. That was his, that was his, his position. Now look at the Rambam. In the Guide to the Perplexed, Part 2, Chapter 48. The Rambam says, it is clear that everything produced must have an immediate cause. 
I mean, this is, you know, every effect has a, has a cause. So if you see a ball rolling down the aisle here in Shul, we can assume that somebody kicked it. It did not start rolling on the floor by itself. So that's called, that's, so the kicking is the cause. And the ball, ball rolling down the floor, that's the, that's the effect. So it is clear that everything produced must have an immediate cause which produced it. That cause again, a cause. And so on. And, and, uh, so if it was kicked, so that, the, the, was kicked by a leg, so the leg had a effect to a person, the person must have brought his leg over there. But there's like endless number, everything is an effect of some cause. It just goes on forever. Till the first cause. First cause is God, who created the world, right? I mean, ultimately, you go back to God. So that if the ball is rolling, you could say, it's reasonable to say the ball is rolling down the floor here in Shul. Who caused it? Who caused the ball to roll down the floor in the Shul? God. You could say that. Now, if you have that kind of vision of things. Because the, the ball was kicked by, by so-and-so, but so-and-so was born to, to her, and she was born to, right? And that, so it's all, it all goes back to God, it all goes back to creation. If not for creation, the, the ball wouldn't be rolling down the floor here. So that's called the first cause. The will and decree of God is reached. If you keep going back step after step, you get to the will, and the decree of God, God's ratzon and tzivui, to create the world. Right? That's what God wants, and that's what God says. There's no difference. The prophets, therefore, omit sometimes the intermediate causes and ascribe the production of an individual thing directly to God saying that God has made it. So sometimes, he says, it's in the lingo of the Nevi'im, of the prophets, to say, God brought the rain. Uh, right? You say, God brought the rain on us. I mean, God brought the rain. But in order for God to bring, we know that before the rain, there were clouds. So before there were clouds, there was condensation, and the water came up from here. Right? But it's correct to say that God brought the rain. Because, what are you saying? That if you go back far enough in the creation of grain, you get to get to God. So, the prophets would often skip the intermediary stage and they say, God made it rain. Saying that God has made it. This method is well known and we, as well as others, as others of those who seek the truth have explained it. It is the belief of our co-religionists, right? The, the Rambam was always interested in pointing out when uh, members of other religions got it right. After having heard this remark, listen to what I will explain in this chapter, direct your special attention to it more than you have done in the other chapters of this part. It is this, as regards the immediate causes of things produced, it makes no difference whether those causes consist in substances, physical properties, free will, or chance. By free will I mean that of man, or even of the will of another living being. The prophets ascribe the production directly to God and use such phrases as, God has done it, commanded it, or said it, In all such cases, the verb to say, to speak, to command, to call, to send, are employed. And therefore, it would seem that the Rambam is saying something that's similar to what the Ibn Ezra said. Right? What does the way Chazek Hashem at Leif Paro mean? Well, just like everything comes from God, so that also comes from God. Does that mean that Paro didn't have free will or that he was denied free will? No. Doesn't mean that at all. How come Paro didn't use his free will option? Rashi. 
Rashi says because he didn't believe in tshuva. He didn't think you could do tshuva. He was an idolater. He didn't realize that the world could be remade through tshuva. So that's Rashi, the Ibn Ezra, and the Rambam. That's how they learn by Chazek Hashem at Leif Paro. But before we leave this sub- the subject, I'd like to tell you what the Rambam wrote in his book on Halacha, in Hilchot Shuvah. This is here. Hilchot uh, Shuvah, Per Gimel Halachi Do you see it? Rambam, Hilchot Shuvah, Per Gimel Halachi Yodalit. Call Echad, well, I don't want that. I want, see, Perik Vav, Halacha Gimel. You see Perik Vav, Halacha Gimel? The third, the third section of the Rambam. Perik Vav, Halacha Gimel. Rakshah Shechta Adam Chet Gadol, Ochataim Rabim Hachitain Adim Lefnei Dayan Ha'emet, Sheh Peraon Mizah Choteh, Ochataim Eilu Shehasu Berzono Midato, Shemonim Meimenu Hatshuva. And it was the Rambam is saying what Rashi said. That's the Chidush in the Rambam. Whereas Rashi says it about who, who's, who is it that doesn't have tshuva, can't do tshuva, according to Rashi? Oh, the Avrazor. The Rambam seems to be talking about Jews. Everybody. Everybody can be in this state where you can't do tshuva anymore. The end of the second line. And he says, Who shakarish bochu amal yideyishayahu so the, so the Rambam has his psukim that prove to him that this is in fact the case. However, if you go on, you skip a line. The fikach, you see the word the fikach, it's three, four, five, six. Sixth line in this paragraph, the fourth word. The fikach. Who said that? Who said Chatami Atzmo? The Ramban. Who lived earlier, the Rambam or the Ramban? Who was first? The Rambam was first. Before the Ramban. So the Rambam says, what does Havanechakvalo mean as we said last week? Havanechakvalo means above and beyond. Beyond what he had to do. He could have just enslaved them. That was what HaKadosh Baruch said to Abraham Avinu that they'll be slaves. Havanechakvalo. We're going to try to wipe them out to destroy them. That's not part of the deal according to the Rambam. And therefore... What was the punishment that that was was meted out to? What was the punishment meted out to uh, to Paro that he couldn't do that he couldn't do tshuva? Not that he didn't want to do tshuva, but he couldn't do tshuva. That was taken away from him. Natan hadim He was not able to do tshuva, and therefore he was he suffered. The weight of this punishment in its entirety. Okay? Now if we stop here, we say, who is the Rambam like? Who is the Rambam like? The Rambam is like Rashi. Except that Rashi talks about all the Avodah Zarah, and the Rambam seems to be talking about everybody, even though the example that he brings is, is Paro. Now if you look at one paragraph up, one section of Peritah Rachalav Alachadvav, also Chotshuva. Also Chotshuva, what does the Rambam say? Koreno Advem Kayotzi Ben Afopishim Akvimeta Chuva. He says all these things he talked about, the things, like there's a whole list of things that are really terrible, Avirot, like Apikosut, and they don't believe the Torah in Shamaim, all these things according to the Rambam, Makvim Eta Chuva, 
אין מונעים אותה אלא אם עשה אדם תשובה מהם, הרי זה בעל תשובה ויש לו חלק לא בבעל. הרמב״ם seems to say that no matter what the transgression was, no matter how bad it was, no matter how bad it was, if you do תשובה, if you do תשובה, your תשובה is accepted. The same thing in the previous פרק גיבר הלכה יודלית, ורמב״ם סייס כל אחד ואחד ועשרים וארבע אנשים אלו שמנינו על פי שהם מישראל, אין להם חלק לעולם הבא. He says these people who did these terrible things, these terrible acts, don't have a חלק in the עולם הבא. The next to the last line, you see next to the last line in that paragraph, the second word, כל הרשעים, והמומרים, all these wicked people, מומרים, are people who lose their connection to being Jewish. They somehow lose their Jewishness. כיוצא בהם, שחזרו בתשובה, בין בגלוי, בין במטמוניות, it is whether they do תשובה openly, I mean the Rambam knew about Moranos, right? The Rambam knew very well there were Moranos in Teiman. The Rambam himself was a sort of a Morano. The Rambam himself, there are the uh, uh, Arab historians who claimed at the time, I mean, were contemporary with the Rambam, that the Rambam acted like a Muslim before he left to go to Egypt. I mean, acting like a Muslim only meant you didn't have to convert to Islam. They don't have a conversion process and therefore that's why they can't run a real country like Israel. But uh, the, because if you want to be a Muslim, you just say, I'm a Muslim. So poof, I just... I just, in fact, on the radio, on the radio, on the news, I mean, it's a little embarrassing to say that you still listen to, someone still listens to the radio, but at my age, I think it's all right. So I was listening to the radio in the car, and, uh, and they announced the study, and, the question, and what they were looking to find out was how many Europeans have become Muslims in the last year. And apparently the numbers are, are not tremendous, but they're significant. 10,000 here and 15,000 there. You know, they're like, it's like really a chaticha ruli stabit, as they say. It's like not just one or two people. It's like a, but you have to understand that you don't have to do anything to become a, a, a Muslim. All you have to do is say hi. And then you're a Muslim. And if you're a man, you don't even have to wear that thing on your face. Right? So that's, that's mamish a cinch. You know, so, so the Rambam, the Rambam himself, before he left Spain, supposedly had to act like a Muslim, which meant that he wore Muslim clothing, not Jewish clothing, because the Jews were all, I mean, all these different groups of people apparently had, um, could be identified by their clothing, which is today, like if you go to a yeshiva Tezder, or to a Haredi yeshiva, you could tell by the way they dress which yeshiva they go to. Like it's always, what? And the Haredim, it's the hat, but with the, with the Hezder guys, it's whether you wear these kind of knitted shirts or, you know, yeah, you can tell. There's, a, there's definitely a difference. All the yeshivas, they have a uniform. Everybody wants a uniform, so the Jews also had a uniform. And it was different than the Muslim uniform, different than the Christian uniform. And uh, the Rambam, because he, he had to avoid the persecution, uh, apparently um, took up Muslim dress, which indicated to the Muslims that he might have been joining, or he's joining us. Uh, and then he left. So he didn't have to do that in Egypt. In Egypt, they didn't have to do that because he was, they wanted the Jews to be separate, right? This is always like, uh, you know, that's why, that's why it was hard to understand, you know, the, the Hasidim in Poland in the 19th century, there was an edict in the cities in Poland against wearing the clothes that the farmers wore. You know, in Poland, they decided to, to, up, to, to become a class act. In order to become a class act, they decided that you should be like Europe, 
like Europeans, mostly like the French. They had a thing with the French. They were, and, and so they suddenly saw all these Polish flopping, you know, like these farmers who wore these high boots and uh, their pants in the boots and these big coats, long coats and, 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 and fur, furry hats. And they passed an edict. And they said people who dress like that can't come to the city. Which, of course, became a big issue for the Hasidim. They were already in the city. And they all dressed like that. So the question was asked. The question was asked, can we follow the edict and change our clothing? Change the way we dress? And, uh, you know, the, the Ger Rebbe said, no. That's Aksad Vesani. You know, the Gemara said, you if they tell you that you should change your uh, shoelaces because we don't want you to wear Jewish shoelaces, that's Yeharag Val Yavo. So he said that's Yeharag Yavo, even though they, at the same time they, they say, I don't know, if, you know how to authenticate these stories, but they say that the Kosker was also asked the same question. And he said, who said, uh, where's the terror say that you have to wear boots? So that today, the the dress of the Ger Hasidim has become its own like uh, mitzvah because of what happened in Poland. In, in other words, because the Ger Rebbe said Yehorg Val Yabor about wearing these boots and long uh, long coat. So today, that's what that's the way the Ger Hasidim will dress. I mean, necessarily, it's not the. The last line. <laughs> the last line is Kol All the bad guys, all the people who are Goyim, Jews who became Goyim, means that either they did Shuva publicly or they did Shuva privately like Moranos, Mekablim Otam. They always accepted Shinema Shuvu Banim Shovim. So here there's no doubt that the Rambam is talking about Jews. And here there's no doubt that the Rambam is talking about Jews. And yet the Rambam, as Rashi, makes a distinction that when it comes to non-Jews, when it comes to non-Jews, they can lose their ability to do tshuva. And that's what the Chazek Hashem and Leif Paro Paro means. So now you could squish it all together, but if you want to just organize it in your mind to keep it separate, there are two possible uh, 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 ways of looking at it amongst the Mephoshim that we saw tonight. One is the way of Rashi, who said that tshuva was denied to idolaters. And since tshuva was denied to idolaters, there was nothing that Paro could do. And therefore, Vayachazek Hashem at Leif Paro, that's because he didn't have, he didn't have tshuva. And that's enhanced by uh, the Rambam in, uh, in Hilchot Shuva, who says that because of the Rishut of Paro, he was punished severely. And since he couldn't do Tshuva, since he couldn't do Tshuva, the punishment was there and, and, and uh, necessary. This is in spite of the fact that the Rambam says when it comes to Jews, Tshuva is always an option. Because in, in their background, this is where I understand it, that a Jewish person comes from tshuva. I mean, his whole, his world is the world of tshuva, right? Adam had to do tshuva, and Cain had to do, uh, had to do tshuva, and, and the people uh, of the flood didn't do tshuva. The other way of looking at it is that the Chazek Hashemet Leif Paro is about the first cause. It doesn't mean that Paro was denied free will. He always had free will, but he opted to act against God's, uh, against God's demand. He opted to act that way. He opted to act that way because he was a bad person, whatever, whatever the reason is. And that is something that the Ibn Ezra says. And something similar, although not referring to Paro specifically, is in the Rambam and the Guide to the Perplex, the second chapter, the second section, chapter 48. Have a good job. What?
Wait one second. It got they. Uh, but it's all the same. It's all the same. The, uh, the idea there is that there was no denial of free will. But you know, don't we see every day in 